0: Button is on now don't have me turned up loud What a powerful truth though his love never fails never gives up never runs out on me i i sing truths and lines like that i read scripture i speak to you guys about things in the bible i read books all these things that i believe i can mentally assess i know that's true i've experienced it in my life i've seen it in other people's lives I know God is real and that every time I get challenged by something else, something catches me off guard, all all of a sudden, I don't know that I'm really the right person to say his love never fails, never gives up, never walks out on me, never runs dry. Because my attitude or my reaction is often like, oh, God, you're letting me down. If maybe you can relate, I have a tendency sometimes to see God's uh, walking with me, his favor with me, and the things that pay off kind of almost instantly. I got the parking space in front of the restaurant. I didn't have to walk too far. The bill that came in was a little less than I was expecting. Maybe even a little closer to home. You know, the health report wasn't as bad as it could have been. And now all of a sudden, isn't God good to me? Now we say that, I'm not trying to pick on all of our Christian lingo and stuff like that, those are cheap shots. We, we do say that because He is good. If He gives me that parking spot, I'm not gonna say, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus, I'm gonna keep on driving. Or, the bill was cheaper, I, I feel like I should pay more. That's not the point. The point is, is that my reduction of God's goodness and His care for me are usually only expressed or praised or appreciated when there are things that I know are good for me, I can feel them. I can touch them. You see we started in second uh, Corinthians last week. We gave an introduction to Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And we started to understand that the mindset that was going on in Corinth isn't much different than the mindset. I just confessed to you today in 2019. That often they were looking for the polish. They were looking for the success. They were looking for the tangible results that equated in their mind. Paul must be an apostle. He must be the leader that we really want for this church because all of those things that that we would look for in terms of trappings and success. He's he's the walking. He's the uh, the epitome of all of those things. But as we saw that, uh, that Paul said, I'm going to even right out of the gate as he started the letter, he says in the first couple verses, he says, I'm going to send a message to you. I want you to know this isn't just a happy letter. Remember, we discussed that this was the second, this is only the second letter we have on record, but it's actually the third letter that he sent. There's one missing in the middle that I think was a little bit more between the eyes. And maybe God said, we're just going to let that one slip off into existence somewhere else. It's not like Twitter or anything where that record's always there and stuff. So so Paul says, he sends this second letter and he says, I've got to come to you. I'm glad that there's been some correction. I'm glad that you've repented to some extent, but there's more work that we have to do. And so right out of the gate, instead of saying, hey, it's Paul, I hope things are going well with you. Remember, we said there was a normal greeting that they were expecting. Instead of getting that normal greeting, what he said is help to you and peace with God instead of, hey, it's Paul, hope it's going well, you guys need help. And, And instead of me coming to you friendly so that we're cool, you really need peace with God. And so that hit the Corinthian church between the eyes. Well, so Paul is going to do a work in this letter, and we're just getting warmed up here. But what Paul was going to attempt to do is to help God's people see that God does really want his children to have comfort and success. Now, if I stop that sentence right there, I sell lots of books, right? If I come short of what else is to come from that, if I say God wants happiness and success for you, then all of a sudden I might sell a few books. They invite me out to the conference circuits and I go around. They might give me a station on uh, a spot on the Christian stations on TV or something like that because I'm saying the kinds of things that sound good to hear. But what I'm doing when I stop short is I'm letting you define what that is. Here's here's what we listen for when we hear all this kind of stuff going on is God's got a plan and a destiny for you End sentence you fill in what that is. Everybody can say that and it's not even far off from the truth of the gospel. In fact, the problem is it's a half truth. What we hope to accomplish this morning is let Paul show us what the other half of that equation is. If God wants security and peace for his children's lives, as a good father does, then how do we get there? And better, it said, how does he get us there? So last week was a strange path to peace. And this morning, we're going to be led down, hopefully, a strange path to comfort. Let's begin in the text in verse three. We're going to pick up where we left off. He says, blessed be God and father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort. So because he's not saying anything by accident, and we already established last week that Paul is not just saying the niceties to get to the heavy we have to assume that there's probably something even being said in this and sure enough there is. It's a little bit lost on us because we didn't uh participate in the synagogue benediction that they would have been used to. Their benediction sounds a little bit more like blessed art thou, O Lord, our God of uh, our God and the God of our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob which is true. Paul's not correcting error, but what he's dealing with is the fact that there were some in their midst still who said, I kind of miss the old customs. Or they were even being more dangerous to say, I'm not sold necessarily on this Jesus of Paul yet. And that was beginning to infect the church. So Paul is saying, not only do we bring honor and tribute to the God of our forefathers, but that same God of our forefathers is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul was one, who was radically interrupted by the resurrected Christ. He was chasing down. He was beating the pavement of persecution on the church of Jesus Christ. So hard and so heavy. The resurrected savior appears to him, blinds him with light. He's off his feet essentially for three days. Doesn't know where he is, what he's doing because Jesus interrupts and radically rescues him and says, Paul, why are you persecuting against me? So Paul is reminding them, guys, listen, this church that happens to be at Corinth is the church of Jesus Christ. This is the one that was planted, established, and owned and, 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 and governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a great reminder. Again, he's not wasting any times. He's not wasting any words. He appears to be taking a shot at the Judaizers that are still in their midst that he's going to deal with by the end of this letter. Because a lot of them came around in his previous writings, there would be more and more repentance. He'd get a little bit more done with this church, but there was still just that contingent hanging on. And we know those of us that have been in church for a long time, or even those of us that have been in any kind of organization that involves people, it doesn't take a lot to steer something in the wrong direction, does it? All it takes is some willpower, some motivation, and the right kind of whisper campaign to get some of that to happen. So because Paul's not wasting any time, he's not wasting any words. He's giving us titles that matter. He says that he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, but he also says he's going to keep laying it on. He says, he's the father of mercies. When I see father of, I'm thinking reputation. So what Paul is saying is who he's been to me. What God owns is mercy. And he wants to let his hearers know this is who God is. So I want us to advance really quickly and say, okay, in 2019, would anybody outside when they hear, oh, yeah, you're going to church. You must serve that God of mercy. You're you're serving that God that just loves people, aren't you? You're serving that God of great forgiveness, tremendous amounts of grace. That is not our God's reputation. And so it, there's, there's, there's hope for us. There's comfort us that even back in the day that Paul was writing this letter, he had to remind them, your father has a reputation. Please do not forget what he's known for. Doctrinally speaking, we need to kind of remind ourselves this a little bit. If God is the father of mercies, it's, it's almost as the, as if God is the father of holding his hand back because what judgment is that comes from a holy god is there is sin that exists by by you and I being born in Adam we were we were born in sin and so god because he's holy so part it's hard for us to wrap our head around god because he's holy he must clamp down and crush sin he must he wouldn't be true to his character if he didn't crush sin So how could a father of mercy also be consistent with doing this? He gave us his son because he had to crush down on sin. He crushes down on his son so that when he looks at you and I, he says, I'm holding my hand back and God's the only one that can hold his own hand back. So because he's a God of mercy, he does not give us what we deserve. But fortunately for us, if we understand the the Bible, what we know is that he doesn't just leave us there. God doesn't say, I could just, oh, I could knock you a good one, but I'm not going to. So you just go and think about that. Young man, you go to your room and think about that. He doesn't leave us alone. What grace does is it comes and it fills in the gap. He says, not only am I holding back what you deserve, but in grace, I'm giving you the opposite of what you deserve. So God, we serve a God of, of grace and mercy together because by withholding the judgment that we so rightly deserve, he instead replaces it with the forgiveness and the freedom that we do not deserve. So Paul is saying, please remember that the father that you serve, the owner of our church, the one who set our destiny in motion is a father of pity. And a father of compassion. This sets the stage for everything else he's gonna say. Because he is, as we continue, the God of all comfort. And I like, I like the, we're gonna say the word comfort to an uncomfortable level this morning. I just want you to know that word shows up like ten times in this little passage. I'm like, Paul, could you have found a different word? I even looked it up in the original. It's like the same word over and over and over again. So they're like, we get it, it's comfort. But again, nothing's wasted. Nothing's by accident. Paul uses this word over and over and over to make a point. And it harkens back a little bit to the prophet Isaiah. As God is announcing to his people that the Messiah is coming. He's ushering in the messianic age. He says, I want these words. He says it right here in chapter 40 of of Isaiah. He says, I want these words to comfort my people. I want these words to be spoken tenderly. To my people, Why? Why would he say that? Because he's got the hand ready to do this. But Paul says he's the father of mercies. So he says, I want the message to be encouraging. I want the truth of this to bring comfort. He even finishes the prophecy at the end of Isaiah in 66. He says, as one whom his mother comforts, we all have got an image in our minds. Moms are amazing at comfort, right? It's an amazing image that God gives us. He says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Why? Because your king is coming. The Messiah is on the way. These are the thoughts that Paul has. These are the, 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 the words and the phrases that are going to mean something to this audience as he's sharing it. These titles Matter. So as we're going through this text, it's really important for us to understand that if we are going to speak, this is kind of our first observation in this. If we are going to seek true comfort, we have to seek it from the true source of comfort. This is God's domain. This is his area of expertise or what we would say. This is God's wheelhouse. This area of comfort. Our second observation in this is that. If we want the comfort that God can provide, we take the good with the bad. He continues in verse four. He says, this is the God of mercies, the, the, the God of all comfort. He says, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ We share abundantly in comfort, too. I'm going to make a couple guys happy with me this morning because um, I'm carrying around my coin that we all received at Moose River Outpost last fall on our men's retreat, which I'll I'll admit I'm not uh, to the to the great disappointment of some of my little kids. I'm not the outdoorsy campy type. So I didn't know what to expect going to the retreat, but what I found was, uh, more than I could ever expect and was amazing. And so I encourage you guys to make your plans. I know we've been announcing it and posting the links and everything, but I just want to back that up by saying as someone who is in a sense kind of doing it at first, because it was part of my job. I should go. I really was pretty changed. And I got to know a lot of guys one-on-one that I didn't anticipate and it was great, but I have my coin. So I don't know Steve, a milkshake. That's part of the, if you don't have your coin on you, when he asks you, you owe him a milkshake. So I don't, so I have it. If this coin, for our purposes this morning, I know you can't really see it, uh, represents our life. I, I want us to picture, I wish you could feel the weight of this, it's pretty substantial. I want you to picture this coin being in, I kind of want to do a trick. I don't know how to do it, do you know? To, no. So, whew, there it is, other side, look at that. I if this coin is going to represent life for our purposes, I want you to imagine that God's got this coin of your life in his hands. And what Paul is trying to say when he says that if you're going to receive the comfort of God, imagine that comfort being on one side of this coin, that what comes with it is on the other side of this coin. And that is the affliction and the suffering and all the stuff that we deal with in life. So what Paul is saying is you're getting both. You don't get this life without two sides of the coin. So Paul is saying just as you are sharing in our comfort, you are also sharing in our affliction. And this is very profound for us to think about because this is the part that we typically get stuck on. I don't want to have to park 20 spaces away from the restaurant. I wanted God to be good to me today. I wanted Him to just cut me a break. I wanted a one-sided coin. That doesn't exist, but there's, there's promise in this, there's hope in this, there's instruction in this. If God has both sides of the coin in his grip, which is a firm grip, if you know your Bible, then he owns two pieces of this. He owns the side of comfort and he owns the limit of our suffering. Paul is saying that he's the supplier of comfort and the story of Job tells us that he's got parameters on the suffering that we need to endure. If you know the story of Job, you know that, that the, the Satan goes to God and says, I want to test this guy Job that you're so enamored with. You think he's so perfect. Well, watch, I'm going to just touch him and he's going to curse you and he's going to run away from you. And God says, okay, let's lay some ground rules. You've got only a little bit of room that you can work with. Now, in our terms, humanly speaking, he had a lot of room, right? There was a lot of loss, a lot of suffering. But in God's view, he was like, you can't kill him. There's only so much you can do to everything around him. And, 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 and as he kept passing, you know, the tests, if you will, he had to keep expanding that parameter to prove to the devil that Job was going to get through this by his own strength, by God's own strength. So we see in that story that if God's going to supply the comfort, if he owns the side of the coin that we like, he also owns the side that is uncomfortable, that often seems unbearable. And even Paul addresses this in his first letter to the Corinthians says in chapter 10, he says no temptation or no test. We could say don't just think in terms of lustful temptation, but just difficulty and challenge and testing that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, with the testing, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to avoid it. Anybody catch that? It's the oldest pastor trick in the book. I can't believe I stooped to such a cheesy level. Change the last word. And you're like, I gotcha. No, he says that you may be able to endure it. What is Paul getting at here? That comfort, the side of the coin that we want, the side of the coin that we so often go out of our way to avoid the other side, is only experienced through Adversity. In other words, if we're going to find real comfort, not the cheap stuff that we settle for, not just because God gave me a good parking space, but really where he wants to press in with comfort, really the kind of comfort that you and I can sink our teeth in really the kind of comfort that other people going, if God takes care of his people like this, I need to follow him. That sort of strength of comfort, not just Jesus gave me a good day. Jesus paid my medical bill. All those things are important. He's in all of those things, but I'm talking about the stuff that we couldn't even understand or fathom. That real comfort only comes through the difficulty and the struggle. That is only at the end of a road that is that is full of potholes and frost heaves and all the other things that's making my newer Jeep fall apart already. It's Aggravating. I, I had a silly experience with comfort catching me off guard because um, maybe some of you are like me and everything's OK. How you doing? I'm oh, fine. Doing great. You know, I didn't realize how bad a week I was having a few weeks back until I was I was in the dentist chair and you say, OK, so that's your bad week. No, but that this is the weird part is this is where I started finding comfort. And it wasn't because of all the shots they were putting in one side of my jaw. But I, I found this, this strange path to comfort in a dentist chair. And if you're a dentist in this room, please don't let this go to your head because we still aren't happy with you. (laughs) Because what they had to do is they had to take an x-ray. And how many of you have had a dental x-ray, like, you know, in your jaw area and stuff that you care to admit? Okay. So. So my question is for all people in the dental industry is why does the thing that you have to chomp down on have to be the size of a credit card? <laughs> yeah, push down on that, you know? And then, and, and, and you know, and the lady that was helping was very sweet and everything, but there was something going wrong with the computer. So as I'm chomping down on the credit card, she's getting me ready for my x-ray that I need. And so she puts the radiation protector over me, right? And then she's like, please pardon me. I have to go do my thing. All right. It's fine. I'm waiting here, bleeding all over probably. And, um, and here's the thing that caught me off guard. I've seen, uh, infomercials for these heavy sheets or these heavy blankets and they, they list them as therapeutic. And I'm like, what a wimpy society we are. What are we trying to, you know, get back in the womb? What's going on here? Like, like we need therapy for everything. I was like, come on, heavy sheets. Are we that far off? I'm sitting in this chair and they put this heavy weight on me. And I felt like I was getting a hug. And I was like, the afternoon sun's beating through the window. All the stuff that goes on in a pastor's office is far away. I'm like, Lord, this is so peaceful. I wanted them to put the heavy blanket on my bill and I just pay it on my way out and just take it home. Just tell my wife, I'm just going to be on the couch for a little while. Please don't interrupt. I I was caught off guard. This is the the humbling part of this. I'm, you know, I was caught off guard by how fragile I really am and how something simple and kind of silly like that. And I was like, man, I really need a lot of help in this life. This is how the Lord showed his comfort to me. But seriously, on a much heavier note, I remember, if you're not tired of my stories already, um, I remember I ran into a gentleman, uh, got to know him just a little bit um, in the Boston area when I was in school. My friend uh, was his groundskeeper. This man um, had made money in manufacturing and stuff and was set for the rest of his life, but he was a devout, godly man. And he was the uh, one-time president of the Billy Graham Association. So, And I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know the time period, I'm guessing in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that. And so obviously a very accomplished man, he has seen God do stuff. He's been following Billy Graham around. I'm in his mansion thing and he's got all these frames around the place and it's pictures with this president and that secretary of state and all that. And I'm like, this guy's been somewhere. He's seen some things done, right? So I'm like a sophomore in Bible college. Knowing nothing about, <clears throat> excuse me, the ways of the world, and uh, Mr. Emery loses his wife. They're elderly; <clears throat> she passes away, and uh, and I would have the occasional conversation with him, but nothing extensive or deep. But I felt it would be polite, as any of us would, to be able to say to him, "I'm really sorry for your loss. I, I hope you're doing okay." And and this is what he did. I'm going to act it out poorly and stuff, but I just I'm I'm kind of captured by his processing. I'm expecting this giant theological statement. I'm expecting this guy who's walked with the greats and everything to say the most profound Christian ease that I'll be like this is life changing. And and he actually did say something that changed my life, but not for the reason I expected. So he comes up and he's and he says, you know, he's polite to me and everything and I said, Oh Mr Emery, I'm sorry for your loss. I hope you're doing okay. And he's he looks at the floor almost as if we left the room. He looks at the floor, he goes, Well he goes, you know, going through something like this you gotta lean on Jesus. He says and he he lets us lean on him pretty hard and he starts shaking his head and he's staring at the floor and he just goes, boy, and that's good. That is good. And he starts walking away. We're like, uh, nice talking to you. We'll let ourselves out. You know, he got enraptured in this thought that all the stuff, all the escapades and all that seeing Billy Graham at work and seeing all the, the movement of the spirit and everything. What he needed for his soul in that moment was the fact that his Jesus allows him to just lean on him fall in his arms and say, I am not strong enough to keep my life together. I can't make sense of how I'm supposed to process the loss of my wife. I've seen you do so many great things, but I don't know what to do now. And so the only thing he could recall in that moment is Jesus allows us to press in on him so hard that it defies explanation. And I've remembered that many decades later. This is what Paul is getting at. He says that all of our affliction, that ugly side of the coin belongs to him, to all of our affliction. Please hear me when I say this, the child of God, really the, the you that have put your life in the arms of the Lord Jesus and you say, I surrender to you. Please take ownership of my life. Show me how to live for you. I ask you to come into my life and save me. If If you are a child of God, here's what you need to understand is that when Paul says that all of our affliction can find comfort in him, yes, the stuff that comes from the outside, Jesus says that when they persecute you, it's not because they hate you, it's because they hate me. So in this life, you will suffer persecution. It comes from the outside. It weighs in on us heavy. But child of God, the suffering that you have inflicted on your own life God doesn't say forget about it. God doesn't say don't stew in it or anything like that. He says, let it serve its purpose. And when the purpose is served, let's all just move on. You know, if you're a parent, you have some kids, those kids have made mistakes. (laughs) I don't even have to say if, you know what it's like when they make those mistakes and there's a part of you. I hope there's a part of you that says, I really want them to learn from those mistakes If I run in too quick and I alleviate the consequences or don't make them pay some extent, then I'm probably bailing them out and they probably won't make behavioral changes that they need to not run into that again. There's there's a parent's heart that says, oh, I want to rescue you, but man, you need to feel this for a little bit. But then there's a, another huge heart, and I'm a sinful dad, uh, we are broken parents, we don't know what we're doing half the time, but even in that state, I wanna go, okay, you've, you've wallowed in that, you've paid enough. Let's, let's just drop the debt and let's move on, okay? This is getting, you're better than this, we think better of you than this, that mistake doesn't define you in your parents' eyes. So Jesus said, if, if we being sinful parents know how to give our kids good gifts, wouldn't we also be able to trust in a God who's always perfect at parenting? Paul says that all of our affliction answers to God. He wants us to learn. He's not going to alleviate us. He's not going to allow us to avoid the pain because he knows true comfort is on its way. But also what he wants us to do is to understand that at some point, we need to be able to move on and trust in his forgiveness. I didn't say we got to forgive ourselves. Who are we? We don't, we didn't die on the cross for us, but God, you forgave me. Your promise is true. I I trust in it. I still look in the mirror and I see the person that made that error, that judgment, that sin. I, I did that. I wish you could just erase it from my mind, but you can't. But what I'm trusting in is that when it's done its perfect job in me, when it's when it's, when it's it's taught me the lesson I need to, to make, that you're going to allow me to move on. I can walk in your forgiveness. Paul says this is in any affliction. It's all our affliction. It's in any suffering. You and I have all heard somebody say as we try to comfort them, try to help them, you don't know what I'm going through. Don't even try. What Paul is giving us some insight to here is that suffering relates to suffering. We have to be sensitive. We have to be careful not to minimize someone else's suffering. But, but ultimately, when we've gone through some things, God has given us a connection to the other things that people go through. Paul is about to say that this is why we go through it. It's for other people. So let's not go around and share that statement with other people. You can't help me. You don't know what I'm going through. That's a very isolated, self-absorbed, overcomplicating view of the trials you go through. We all go through stuff. We can help each other out with that. If Paul was using this coin analogy, what he's about to say here is he says that this This comfort that can come to you in overflowing, overwhelming measure has to. So we want the weight of that. We want a heavy coin because of all the comfort in our life. Thank you, Lord, for piling it on that side of the coin. He says that's an equal weight. It's going to overflow in suffering. That's going to lead to the overflow of your comfort. In verse 6, Paul continues. He says, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, again, it's not for us. We're not the immediate benefits of this. It's for your comfort. Which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. We have to be a little bit careful in how we apply this here because Paul being an apostle of Jesus Christ, the main point he's trying to make is, Corinthians, you think I'm not the apostle that that I claim to be. You think I'm not speaking God's truth to this church because of my suffering. But what I'm trying to help you understand is that because God has handpicked me to lead this church and to be a, a founding pillar, if you will, of the church to come, I have to go through the suffering business of God greater than any of you will have to experience. He says, what you're using to discredit me, I'm telling you that God is piling on me so that you can have faith that the truth of which I speak comes from him. So when Paul says that you'll share abundantly in the sufferings that we suffer, he is probably talking to most of us about a fraction of what Paul's gone through. But it's humble of him to say, you're going to go through the same things as me. Next week, we're going to list out some of those sufferings. We're going to understand some of that business that Paul was dragged through and how unpleasant it is. But it is for our comfort. I love how Paul doesn't leave a thought unended. He says that we can experience these comforts if we endure sufferings. So if he left it open with, we're all going to relate to each other because of the experience of suffering. It's like, well, there's, There's nothing to be accountable to that. In other words, if we are going to experience the maturity that comes in this life, there's two ingredients that Paul says are are included. One is the experience of the sufferings and the the infusion that happens or what produces the chemical reaction is the endurance, the patient endurance of that trial. So let me put it this way. If we just said God's going to do his perfect work if we experience sufferings, that counts for everybody in the world because we just said that this coin is common to all of us. We all go through sufferings. So Paul is saying, if you're going to experience the true comfort of God, the maturity and, and sort of that heavy blanket, if you will, that he wants to give his children. It's because we've allowed the experiences of our suffering to be mingled or mixed with our patient endurance in those trials let me ask you a question do you quit before God's comfort arrives do you stay stuck in this vicious cycle of suffering because you bail out before that discomfort has served its purpose mature Christians have learned the art of letting adversity do its work not always with smiles on their faces They learn not to repeat their mistakes, at least not as often. We're still going to sin and trip up. Nor are they stuck, at least not as long, in cycles of defeat. So the question is, do you jump out? Do you bail out before affliction and adversity has served its purpose? Our third observation from this text, and then we're going to ask a few questions and close our time. Our third observation is, that we must be willing to share in this life, that we that we must be able to acknowledge that each of us have our own coin, born through its share of adversities and sufferings and things, but we also want each other to experience the comfort that comes with that, that we're willing to share this whole experience with one another. Paul makes an extremely huge point about this. In verse 7, he says, Our hope for you is unshaken, For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul says, if I'm going to suffer, it's not for me. It could be that I'm about to suffer just simply for your purposes. If I'm comforted, I can't let that go to my head. God must really be looking out for me. He must really favor my ministry and and light up all the steps. What if my comfort that I'm experiencing right now, that rescue, that salvation, as he says in the text, is actually for the benefit of somebody else? Paul is saying it is. First question. Are you eager to identify with Paul? I stop on the word eager on purpose because... That's where we get hung up. If I have to, okay. If God is signing me up for a little bit of suffering, I'll take it. I at least know enough not to overly complain or always go poor me or something. But am I eager to be identified with our forefathers in the faith? Would I consider that Paul, as, a, as well as so many other believers in the past, and even some currently today that we could put up on screens and hear about their sufferings around the world and everything, am I eager to be counted with that group? Is that my in crowd? Or would I be more like a Corinthian that says they're kind of a stain on our existence, The Corinthians wanted a sign to be out in the church that said Corinthian community church pastored by Apostle Paul. So that that name and that tag, of course, I'm saying this facetiously, but that name and that tag would be a draw. So that people said, well, this has got to be a happening church. You've got an apostle there. But every time Paul would show up and he's dragging about himself, all the weight and the and the ugliness that came with his suffering and they'd be like, tell us about your experiences. And he's like, well, the world's kicking my teeth in, to be honest with you. I'm not faring so well out there half the time. But the God of mercies who's allowing me to experience the weight of this suffering for your benefit is also the one who's delivering in my life extreme and amazing comfort. And, and the Corinthians are going, that's really not enough for us we've heard great things about your intellect. We know that you can speak all these languages. We know that you are trained with the best. Could you put a little bit more of that on display for us, Paul? Paul's like, that's pretty ugly. I don't want to think about all those things that made me the man that I was when Jesus interrupted me and said, change your course. Are you eager to be like him? Would you be willing to say if it's for the, if it's for the good of others, then put me on display. Sure, for fame and glory, but for suffering? Paul's saying, this is the mark of my apostleship. Second question, are you confident that you fellowship with Christ? This isn't so that we can just identify with Paul. We're not starting the Church of Paul. Paul's imitating his Savior. George MacDonald, the Scottish theologian who was one of C.S. Lewis's mentors, said the son of God suffered unto the death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like his. Are you confident that this Jesus that you claim to live with, share a life with, are you confident that you truly are sharing in that life? Because his life was marked by suffering and sacrifice. It's an important question because Paul highlights it in this passage. If if you have your Bibles, you want to just peek back at verse 5. But he says, if you relate to Christ's sufferings, that through Christ, and this could be just about the key to the whole message this morning, that through Christ, you can receive true comfort. The world has some that Jesus was a key historical figure, that he was a worthy example to imitate, that he was a kind and gentle soul, that he's pretty much the hippie of his day, that everything was peace and love. And let's just all get along when what they discount is the fact that Jesus is a living God who moves into the hearts of his people so that when you and I are looking at suffering and we're going, I don't think I can do this. And some of you have come to that place, your, your life's at stake or the the lives of those that you love are at stake. And you're going, I don't have the constitution to man up or woman up in this. I am not strong enough in this. Jesus doesn't just come in and say, yeah, I was, I was afraid you're going to say that. So I'll do some of it for you. Jesus says to even the strongest, the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger of quote unquote church giants, he would even say, you're still too weak. Only I can do this. You're going to doubt. You're going to trip up. You're going to yell at the ceiling. You're going to be embarrassed with yourself that you don't have more faith. All those things are going to be true because I know you. You're my child. But calm down. True comfort comes when I show up and I lead the way. I carry the sufferings of my children on my back. I've got this. Only until you've experienced that fear And that dilemma and God shows up to deliver that comfort. Do you go, okay, this is the stuff I was supposed to hang on to. I was settling for good parking spaces, but God had so much more for me. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a little bit hard hearted. You're demanding, excuse me, something of the world that the world is not paying you. And you're saying, man, I've tried, I'm trying to be nice, I'm trying to be helpful, I'm trying to be any of those things, but what I keep getting in return is, like Paul would say, I'm getting my teeth kicked in by the world. I'm going to encourage you to get out of that mode of thinking as absolutely quick as possible because it is cancerous. When you and I think that our suffering is worse than everybody else's and everybody around me has got a better life than I'm experiencing now. What I'm doing is I'm isolating myself from where real comfort can be found. And I need to surrender my heart to the God of all comfort, to the father of mercies who doesn't want you to suffer beyond what you can handle. And he has hope and purpose for you and your suffering, but you have to be able to take your eyes off of you and place them on him. Maybe you feel like oh, I'm a step better than that. I'm not necessarily blaming God for everything, but I wish he'd step it up a little bit. I feel like I'm serving him. I feel like I'm doing a good job I'm trying to give to my church. I'm trying to get my kids to soccer practice on time, trying to do the things that I thought good people do and comfort doesn't seem to be coming. My question for you would be, are there others around you that you can show comfort to while you wait for yours? That might that might seem like a nice little distraction, but here's the secret in all of this This is how the gospel works. That when we take our eyes off of us and we focus on the needs of others, Paul says that we would esteem other needs more important than our own, that that becomes the vehicle in which we receive our own comfort. So often as we're working with people who are sincerely suffering, I don't mean just sucking their thumb. I mean like they are getting dealt a heavy blow. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable to ask them, you need to go serve someone else. It's like, I'm sorry, did you not just hear me? I am going through it here. Because like Paul, my confidence is unshaken that if you serve the needs of somebody else, you will in turn receive the grace and forgiveness, you will receive the mercy of your God, but you also find what he has for you. That comfort comes down that road. Maybe you are serving the hurting, but you're still hurting yourself. Maybe you just don't know if there's any end in sight. This, this is something you probably need to hear that maybe there is no end in sight in this life. Could I challenge you to maybe consider yourself that someone like Paul That you would say, maybe my life has been set aside or earmarked so that others could say, so that's how you're supposed to do it. Maybe God, for whatever reason, has said, I just need you to be on display. And so that humbly we would say, but that's not really the life I chose. It's not really the one that sounds comfortable to me. And he says, I know, but there's purpose in it. Maybe God's comfort, maybe that big heavy blanket comes after this life is over and we show up and we see him in glory. And he says, that's what I wanted you to accomplish That's what I had for you. You have no idea who needed to see what you just lived out. And because of that, your mission was successful. And I'm so sorry you didn't feel it in that world. But now guess what you got? Enter into your rest. This is the God that we serve. This is the father of mercies that even the difficulties that we'd experience are because of his good graces in our life. Would you stand please? And we'll pray together. God, I thank you, Lord, for all that you give us. Lord, I thank you. I'm saying it in faith, but I thank you for the things that will come my way that I don't like. I'm uncomfortable having 300 people hear me confess that to you, Lord, that can hold me accountable. But I think we need that, Lord. I think we need to stick our necks out for you just a little bit. I think we need to appreciate the comforts that you do give us, Lord, not to go in unintentional or intentionally out of our way just to suffer more so that people can be impressed, but to take what you send, to take what you allow in stride, and to trust you in it, knowing that in and of ourselves we can't beat this. All we can do is surrender. May you shine through us, Lord, be on display in Jesus' name. Amen.